If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. It's time to get lost in a Identify yourself. Welcome to Lost and Rewound. Lost and Rewound. On Radio Free Brooklyn. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition. My name is Alon Danziger. I'm Will Hasty. I'm your friend, Rachel Teichman. We bring this program to you every Thursday afternoon as a means to learn a little bit about how we got from there to here. Listening back to sounds from our youth and getting a little taste for who we were back then. Uh, if you are interested in contributing sounds from your past, email us lostandrewound at radiofreebrooklyn.org. Pitch us your submissions for 200 plus episodes. Check out our main hub at Radio Free Brooklyn's website. That is radiofreebrooklyn.org slash LAR. Without further ado, though, we should get started on this week's journey. Don't we have an amazing guest this week? Don't we have like an OG of OGs? Well, we do. Are you ready to get into it with the OG? I'd love to get into it with the OG. <laughs> Actually, let's let's do that properly. Yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm ready to, to get... Get into it with, with the OG. Okay. I'm ready to get into it with the OG, too. OG, here we go. OG, OG. <laughs> here we go. Returning to Lost and Rewound for this week's edition is my old pal, Josh Telson. He is an improv teacher, a filmmaker, and a comedian based in Berlin, Germany. In the before times, he performed regularly in Berlin and across Europe. He also had a very funny podcast with his equally talented brother, Noah Telson, called Piffle. 
Josh Telson, welcome back to Lost and Rewound. Thank you. You were saying it as if I was going to get applause or something, and I was like, actually, no, no, that's not what I was fishing for. It was just um, it made me miss the before times. Hello. Uh, Definitely great when a guest asks for applause. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I miss it so much. The first time you were on our show is our first, very, very first episode back in 2013. Yeah. And my, you were on uh, the very first episode? Numero uno. Oh, my God. We have a legacy in the room. <laughs> I think that was recorded right before my first daughter was born. I think it maybe. Maybe wow. it was January of 2013. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. And um, since then, uh, you have uh, had the opportunity to really hone in on your craft as an English-speaking comedian in Germany. I guess the word would be you've definitely found a way to uh, capitalize on being an American comedian in Germany. Um, <laughs> how how's the experience been, uh, though? Have you uh, been acclimating to uh, more German-speaking crowds? Well, the interesting thing is if we're going to go back to 2013, is that the, like the stand-up scene was just kind of getting started back then. I was doing a lot of stand-up. And at mm -hmm. the time, I was doing as much stand-up as an improv. And the stand-up scene has really exploded here now. I mean, English-speaking stand-up is crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm going to speak as if COVID is not going on and things were regular. But there's like, uh, I would say, three or four shows going on a night in English in the city. Sometimes weekends, there's like, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten shows going on in English. But as that was kind of exploding, I really moved more into improv. My brother and I opened a theater five yeah. years ago. So, I mean, that's really what I do most of now. And we started a school at the same time. And so I think in terms of that, um, there's not a lot of that style of like what you would all probably recognize as like a UCB style of improv or, or just kind of that direction of improv doesn't exist in Europe, quite honestly. I mean, very small little pockets. Improv is very, very different here. So there's a huge audience for people who want that kind of improv that is very decidedly and deliberately trying to be funny. We're, we're, we're trying to do comedy first and foremost. If it's not like the UCB style, what is it? What is the common improv style? If you're like an improv nerd, you'd probably call it like narrative style improv. Got it. Johnstonian style improv. And by no means I'm trying to knock it in any respect. I mean, there's some really amazing stuff that happens, but it is very much away from, you know, we've got a funny thing and we're just going to knock around this funny idea until we make it as funny as possible. The laughter and comedy to a lot of improv here is kind of incidental, which is not to say that they're not funny, but it's not what their goal is. Their goal is to do theater and make people laugh maybe along the way. But for us, I mean, we have a comedy club. We are very much trying to entertain people with laughter. Could you give us some kind of reference point for a German audience versus an American audience? Uh, yeah, this is, I mean, I could spend an hour on this. Um, yeah. <laughs> very, very delicate subject. There is actually decent comedy here, but the sensibilities and the comedy culture are very, very different. When you say comedy to most Germans, they're going to think of cabaret. They are literally going to think of a, a political style cabaret theater where it's like very earnest and it's very intellectual. Or they think of very, very broad TV shows like these t variety style TV shows where it is just the most absurd, like, you know, toilet child humor. Um, gotcha. You know, like I, the way I always think about it is that like with the exception of this cabaret thing, which I think is very specifically German or maybe European. It's it's not something that I think Americans have a, even a decent understanding of what that kind of 
looks like culturally. But mm -hmm. um, other than that, uh, comedy here is like 20, 30 years behind. Like if you think of the way stand-up was in the 80s, that's mm -hmm. kind of how like the broader stand-up scene is. Oh my comedy. God, that's gotta be incredible to witness. Yeah, I mean, with that being said, so the, the funny thing is that when the English scene started, there were quite a few Germans who got started doing stand-up in English and then learned their kind of sensibilities from our you know, both British and American style and mm -hmm. have since then started doing for a while now stand-up in German. And there is actually a, a very fast growing kind of indie uh, or alt, maybe you'd say alt stand-up scene clearly much younger performers who all started performing in English with us and now are, you know, breaking through in German and uh, being very successful because there's clearly a huge market for that among the younger audience. So it's a weird place right now. What was the impetus for you and your brother? Did you just come to Germany saying, I want to make an improv school. I want to make American Chicago style improv popular. Does Germany. anybody grow up and say, I'm going to start cafe. an improv school. Uh, no, I mean, my, my younger brother moved here because he was going to grad school and then he stuck around afterwards. And my wife and I, we were in New York City for, I was there for over 12 years and we had been there for a while together and we were just kind of looking for something new and our, mm -hmm. Um, idea was, uh, you know, I have citizenship through my family and my brother was there already. We thought, fuck it, let's go to Berlin for six months. Nice. Six months turned into a year. A year has now been, we're coming up on 10 years now in, wow. in Berlin. Holler. You have two daughters now, uh, four yeah, and seven? Here. Yeah, exactly. So we're here. We're not going anywhere anytime soon. Do they think that their dad is funny? I think so, but not because I'm a comedian. Because... <laughs> you know, all the other reasons. I, 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 was, I have I to try to explain to my kids yeah. what I do is like virtually <laughs> impossible. They have no concept for how, what I could possibly be doing. You released a video recently called The <laughs> GIF. Now, there's one thing I know about you. It's that you've been a staunch defender of your private life, which is great. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. The fact that you refused for a very long time to share photos you and meg came to this decision when you had your first daughter and that has spilled out into your second uh birth of your second daughter no photos of your your kids it would be online. weird if we put photos of the second kid online but not the first that would be <laughs> weird. But, but look honey but, we really loved but, you but then we had a second and realized we didn't but in this video I, I first of all a really jo great job by meg on the uh yeah on the camera yeah, exactly. Both of you were acting in this, and your daughters make an appearance, but they don't show their faces. No, that's <laughs> just, the thing. Just, <laughs> it was facing away, not. and I thought yeah. it was just brilliant, like good, uh, you know, interpolation of being able to create art while in quarantine, um, and not and still own uh, up to your uh, earlier promises. Yeah, yeah. Well, I ha I have to admit that at least part of that was not planned. I mean, we wanted to have, we wanted to do that little scene with them, but mm -hmm. the reason why it turned out the way it did was because they were both throwing temper tantrums. <laughs> that, oh. That's the right, they were both uh, not happy. And so we, they weren't actually acting. They were legit not happy at that moment. And we that's awesome. Took the opportunity. <laughs> that is, I mean, hey, they, they used it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to bring attention to just a, a very, uh, very sensitive topic that you uh, have claimed uh, is okay on you to talk about um, now that you are quarantined. <laughs> the, the coughing, yeah. Yeah, the coughing. Um, you did come down with COVID. Uh, you did test yeah. positive, and Ooh. you've been 
now uh, dealing with this for about four weeks. Um, mm. Before we started recording, uh, I did hear an interesting fact that your brother, who is a um, God, what 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 medicine does he practice? Uh, your brother ben. family family medicine. He's family medicine, family pediatrician. Medicine. He mentioned that you are going to continue coughing even after uh, COVID disappears. He said I could. He said I could. I mean, I think he was trying to make me feel better, but I'm sure it's also true that uh, just because I'm coughing does not necessarily mean that I still necessarily have COVID. It's just like my body is going to be fixing itself for a while. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean. Uh, I was saying this earlier to Rachel as well. Like I, I was not the one to take this lightly or pass it off or anything, but now that I have it, I, like I can speak truth to this. I, like you do not want to get this because I have a relatively mild case and it has been brutal. I mean, it just won't go away and I'm just constantly coughing. And this is like crazy tightness in my chest uh, that I've like basically gotten used to now, even though like, I, I don't remember what it feels like to just like breathe fully and not feel it. So don't do, do whatever you can not to get this. It's really, it's not fun. From all I could tell for a very long time, Germany was um, the top of the chain in terms of uh, response, but yeah. eventually all things sort of fall to the wayside, I suppose. Yeah. I think we got real lucky. I think they did some good things. I mean, they locked down hard and fast at the beginning and the health system here is relatively robust. And so I think they did some smart things and we got really lucky. And then the government and just people in general got really, really complacent. And I will kind of admit to like a bit of that ourselves. Although, I mean, I also have to like kind of defend ourselves a little bit because even as a theater, to be perfectly honest, we would have loved not to have been open. We would have much preferred that the government continued to keep us shut down. And I mean, like what they're doing right now, we get, uh, we get money from the government. I mean, the government is essentially um, not fully paying us, but they're giving us a percentage of, what we would have made based on last year's receipts, what we would make this year. They're if only the U S would do something like that. Yeah. Mm. I mean, of course it makes sense. I mean, it, it, you have to incentivize people. You can't take people's livelihood away. You can't tell people be safe and don't go out and then don't give them any other way to do it. Right. I mean, Oh, well that's what they've done. Yeah. Well, and, and, all, the, and all our businesses, all the clubs, everything is yeah. shutting the fuck yeah. down. It's awful. Yeah. And that's what would have happened to us too. So, I mean, you know, we, uh, because there had to be physical distancing, our capacity went from 60 to 19 people. The bar didn't do as well either, but we were managing to stay afloat and we were being very strict. I mean, the general rule here was that once you're seated, you don't need to wear a mask anymore. And we still required people to wear a mask in the theater, even when they were sitting down. You know, we were being way more cautious than was kind of mandated. But even with all that, I mean, the problem was that the government just didn't prepare. And I know it probably seems crazy in comparison to what's going on in the States, but there is an equally huge COVID denial crowd here. There have been like weekly huge demonstrations, marches from these crazy COVID deniers and and anti-maskers. Please speak to that. Please speak to that. Please, please tell us like, what is like, give us a flavor of it. Do you see, do you have to run into it every day? Is it, is it more of a media experience? Like, I mean, it's certainly, it's, it's nothing to shrug off because it is a substantial number. I mean, there's like 20,000 people a few weeks ago marching through Berlin. That's not nothing. No, it's really not. I'm relatively cloistered. I mean, not just literally right now, but I mean, in my neighborhood and among my crowd, it's, uh, you know, it's a very kind of um, leftist, liberal immigrant crowd. You know, we're all very 
no one is kind of leaning in that direction. And there's a few people who are like that this insane kind of left wing uh, variant of that, where they're like all of a sudden, you know, they, they think the government's tracking them through the Corona tracking app and kind of come around it from that other way. And I've had some kind of um, mild arguments with people, but I also taken myself off Facebook. So I think I've not exposed myself to most of that. Um, sure. But from sitting in my living room, reading the news, and I'm following both U.S. news and German news. It's uh, really disconcerting, right? It's like just, yeah. I mean, especially here because you have all these people. I mean, literally, like some of these crowds look like love parade, right? You've got these like really hippy dippy kind of liberal people who are marching along with literal Nazis who are a part of the COVID denial and and lockdown, you know, um, anti-lockdown people. So it's really disconcerting. COVID, as we know, is extremely scary, and I don't think any of us have really truly been able to grasp how dangerous and how harmful everything is and has been and will continue to be. And so I think that's where a large number of this subset of like anti-maskers and just COVID deniers and that whole thing, like I think they truly like are just in denial like they can't they can't grasp how scary all of this is so they're just like (laughs) no let's just fight against it it's not real yeah i think that's very much it i mean i you know i i'm not gonna i know this is not a political podcast so i'm not gonna get too much into it but i think especially here in germany I, i mean it is very much like top down style government right like there's a lot of expectations people have from the government a lot of stuff taken care of in so many ways it's great right like i mean just in terms of childcare and healthcare and and uh you know um going into retirement all this stuff is taken care of in a so much better way than the states but the inverse of that is that there isn't a lot of feeling of kind of just like community solidarity like there's a lot of expectations people have on leadership and there has been a lot of people that have fallen through the cracks. And what ends up happening is that people don't trust the government anymore, but the government is also in the position where they're the ones, that they're, they're really the only mechanism to take care of something on a large scale like this. That combination, I think, ends up leading a lot of people to equate what's happening you know, medically and scientifically with a government thing, and they've got a distrust of the government, so all of a sudden, that's the whole thing is going to be wiped off the table, right? Like, the whole thing is bullshit. They can't kind of separate the two. Like, yes, the way a lot of the lockdowns have happened, the way the governments have treated a lot of this stuff is awful, but that doesn't mean that COVID doesn't exist or that you shouldn't wear a mask and et cetera, et cetera. And that I think has been particularly true here. I'm all about mistrusting the government, because, <laughs> but at the same time, wear your masks, kids. Yes, yeah, seriously. Please. Yeah, yeah. If anything, because you distrust the government, wear a mask, right? Yes. Like, think about all the stuff you get away with when you wear a mask. first episode of uh, Homegrown, yeah. Lost and Rewound. What do you want to be when you grow up? Um, Josh. I'd like to be a pilot and an actor. Yeah. Okay. 
so that Violet. was that we was fifth, fifth grade. Brooks and I were uh, interviewing kids in the class. That was the uh, debut, the very, very first clip that we ever shared of a bajillion Danziger's own clips and many more. Brooks and I interviewing our classmates, you included. I have to ask, maybe I did at the time, but I don't remember because you said that specifically a pilot for Lufthansa. Oh, yeah, yeah. But what inspired you? Oh, this is so funny. I mean, I I wanted to be a pilot until I was like 16. And then it switched immediately to I want to make movies. And then that's, you know, the field I ended up going into until I moved to Germany and started improvising. But um, yeah, I wanted to be a pilot. I don't know. I I just really loved flying. And then like the one thing that I had about myself that was like cool and unique and whatever as a kid was that I was like half German and my family was German. And so like, I just felt that connection. And so, of course, if I'm going to be a pilot, I got to be a pilot for Lufthansa. And so that was like, I just remember, I'm like, think about that sometimes. And now I can laugh about it. But for a while, it was like so cringy. Like, oh my God, what a just nerdy dweeb little kid going around. Like, yeah, I'm going to be a pilot for Lufthansa. Like my dream was to be a commercial airline pilot. <laughs> to sit and like fly airplanes for 12 hours or whatever. Oh, come on. Dude, I mean, I know, I know someone whose dream that was and then like essentially fulfilled it for a while. Good yeah. for them. And, and dude, at that age, are you kidding me? Being a Rebel Alliance fighter pilot is basically <laughs> the equivalent. You know what I mean? Like looking at the adult world, it's that level of complexity compared to your actual life, no, you know? And also, the- and also Lufthansa is like my favorite airline so far like of all the ones i've been on that's the one that gave me lots of alcohol i have family members who are flight attendants and actually i know a couple of comedians who are also flight attendants how does that work wow. that that's interesting. awesome that makes that's so a much very fun. intense lifestyle yeah. yeah i mean it's actually kind of perfect i they get to travel all the time they get to do gigs all you know wherever they're going they always book Amazing. gigs and yeah. yeah being from woodstock what was the concept of loving flying? Like you said, you just love flying. Was it a movie? Yeah. Was it like being a fight? Was it seeing a fighter plane movie from World War II? Like what were those influences that made you sort? Cause I feel like- or Was it just traveling over and over again, back and forth? I think, I, I, I can't remember a specific instance, but I know that when I was a kid, I mean, we would go maybe once a year, once every two years to visit family. And at that time, they would invite the little kids up to the cockpit. You could like go into the cockpit with the pilots, right? And uh, I remember that happening multiple times. I think that's where it came from, just being able to like be up there and see the way it was. And then when I was 13, my parents had a friend who had like his own small little Cessna. And um, what I don't know if sixth grade graduation, like my parent, my mother was German. My father was like, he had no fucking idea about anything that was happening. So like, I was always learning. Yeah, but I was like learning everything. I, I found I was the guinea pig for my family. Like my parents were not engaged in the school or anything. So yeah. in sixth grade graduation, all of my friends got like graduation gifts. And my parents didn't know that that was a thing that was supposed to happen. And I didn't either until I saw everyone else get gifts. I, I don't remember getting a gift, but okay. go I don't on. think I got one for eighth grade. Yeah, I know. Graduation. I, I, a sixth grade graduation. I, I know. Just like, I know. What the hell? But I just know that my parents could see that I was crushed. And I'm sure that I was also like, how come you didn't get me anything? And so they, uh, I think they like, they gave a friend of theirs who had a little Cessna, like 50 bucks, and he took me up in his plane. Oh, man. Very very clearly remember that. Barrel rolls? No, I mean, nothing like that. Although he did, this is the craziest thing. I mean, this is so Woodstock. Uh, He didn't have a car. He only had a motorcycle. So he he picked (laughs) me up. I'm 13 years old. I'm riding in the back of this Harley Davidson with this guy, 45 minutes to this little airfield. It's It's a grass strip airfield to go up in his plane. 
flying around for a half hour and then <laughs> hey. <me> back <laughs> two hey. thrills for one day you hey, when you wrap your arms around me remember to interlock your fingers just grab my mid tummy <laughs> ew you pre 9-11 kids like you got to go up in the cockpit you, you got to go into this guy's True. little airplane without any like anything where like the first time i flew i was like six and it was less than three years after 9-11 so like i didn't get to do any of that shit like like i was treated as a terrorist as a six-year-old i had to like take off my shoes i had to take off my jacket i was treated like a full-fledged adult they like yeah you know so so you're lucky you got to go into the cockpit because they would they wouldn't even dream of letting me do that because like clearly i had a bomb on me yeah you gotta be careful kids are sneaky (laughs) i mean those little jewish girls man dangerous oh yeah they're just going to disney world you know they're obviously the most threatening i i gotta share this last time i was back home i had to empty out all of my shit from my mother's house and i brought all of my old like composition books all the old journals that I had. now now your and mother is is in germany right she she's a, yeah. there her and her husband are in cologne yeah exactly how long ago did this uh uh return to woodstock to was this like a full family like all your brothers were there like just like rummaging through the house and taking care of it no i mean technically the, the house is still in the family she just rents it out now but oh, we, wow. had to, we had to empty stuff out um no, I did that on my own like three years ago. So I've had all this stuff here. I already showed you this one. This is from second grade. This is um, Love a Tree Day, a play for winter that we were all in. Yes. And, um, you were the juniper tree. And I was I... the juniper tree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you were a chipmunk with Brooks Rocco. Now, right. th- this, I remember. <laughs> uh, this is so funny to me because um, I was always like, I always thought back on this so fondly. I made a very clearly visceral memory of this play because I was like the juniper, I was a star role in the juniper tree, <laughs> right? Uh, and I always thought like, wow, I can't believe I nailed that part. And then like, it was only <laughs> recently that I realized like, oh wait, all I had to do the whole play was just stand there while all the animals came up and gave me gifts. And they all, had all the, they had all the lines. Like I, the only thing that happened at the very end, I had one line where I like thanked everybody. And I realized like yeah. all of a sudden it dawned on me at like 37, like I got the shitty role. Like I got <laughs> because the teacher was like, he's not gonna be able to do anything, but he, he can stand there as a tree. That's fine. Uh, anyway, so I found that. I thought that was really funny. Can, yeah, can I share it. one quick thing though? Um, yeah, is that and if only I had known you were going to share that. Although I did not hold on to the program because what? That's it was incredible just to look at. I remember distinctly, and I still have it somewhere in an old journal of mine. When because uh, I was in second grade, I do believe. Yeah, uh, second grade. And in one of these journals, I definitely illustrated the show. I, I documented the show's uh, production, and I remember saying that well, we were chipmunks. And I think I may have listed <laughs> what everybody was, but I definitely drew you as a tree. Nice. So I'll, I'll well, try to share in the show notes. But what's the other thing you got? I drew a picture of you as well. This is now third grade, Mrs. <sighs> Hancock. Mrs. Oh Hancock. My God. January twenty second, nineteen ninety two. I wrote, on Friday the 24th, we are going to see Brigadoon and Alain Danziger is going to be in it. Wow, fantastic. It's going to be great. And then very bad picture. Of wow. <laughs> wow. 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 Oh, my God. I seem wow. to recall having more hair on my head, but the yeah, ears are on point and the nose is just. Mwah. Wait, a minute. Wait, was this Josh? Was this rat? Was this Elon with a rat tail era? 
Uh, it may have been. Oh, no. No, but, no. But, I think but, it was earlier, right? But here's the what's funny is Joe, Josh and I actually went to nursery school together before yeah. we went to elementary school at Woodstock. Um, the Little Red mm-hmm. Schoolhouse, uh, as Steve Gottlieb, this was the first school I ever went to. I was three years old. Josh was there too. I believe exactly. uh, Ben was there too, because Ben's only like a year younger than you. So the two of you were enrolled there. I was there. I don't right. remember anything about it. But since it's the holiday season, I could also add another little uh, nugget to this story in that my dad plays <laughs> Santa Claus. Yeah. And there's oh, photos the one- of as santa like like uh with all the kids at one point and he like had photos in the photo album and like was at uh the the school and it was just crazy your jewish father playing santa claus totally very much so. <laughs> one thing i remember from the little red schoolhouse my sole memory about this place is that we had nap time and during nap time i peed my pants and I was so embarrassed about it that I just pretended to stay asleep, that I was still asleep. And like, they didn't bother me. They just like left me alone. And I was just lying in the nap room beds, just like pee in my pants. Just like, I got to pretend I'm asleep until my mom come gets me now. Oh, uh, oh no. Oh, oh buddy. That's the worst version of, of nap time fuck up I've ever heard in my life. That's a very like preschool thing to have happen. Oh, yeah. It is. Oh, yeah. Stick around. There's more with Josh Telson coming right up after this quick word from RFB. This is Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. December 1st, 2020 was Giving Tuesday, a global generosity movement that unleashes the power of people and organizations to transform their communities and the world. At a time when we are all experiencing the pandemic, Generosity is what brings people of all races, faiths, and political views together across the globe. Generosity gives everyone the power to make a positive change in the lives of others and is a fundamental value anyone can act on. Radio Free Brooklyn Incorporated is a 501c3 nonprofit community organization whose mission is to empower Brooklyn's underserved local communities by providing active learning and media practices and to amplify their voices through a global internet radio platform and public art. We also support initiatives to support musicians and artists through these difficult times and provide media literacy programs to those who need it most. And we desperately need your help during these difficult times. Your monthly pledge or one-time donation allows us to continue bringing you community media and art. Please go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate and give whatever you can. Hey, Radio Free Brooklyn, I have an update for when we found out on air that my hamster was not actually taken back to the pet store because it was sick and that my hamster was actually dead. A couple hours after that episode aired, I was with my family because it was Thanksgiving and um, I promise we were wearing masks and um, I was like, hey, mom and dad, remember Fur Puff? And they were like, yeah. And, and I started laughing, which made them start laughing. And I was like, she died. And they were like, how do you know that? What makes you say that? 17 years later, I was like, well, Jeffrey told me. Oh. And um, they were like, we have to slap him. He was never supposed to tell you. Slap him with a flaming trout. 
and or a turkey, flaming, I guess. With a flaming, flaming turkey. Oh. And my and my dad was like, I could have sworn I, over the years I thought to myself, did I told her about that, right? I must have told her. And he never, in fact, told me. Wow. In the car while we were talking about this, my dad was like, Rachel, I have something to tell you. And I'm like, what is it? And he's like, you don't take a, a sick pet back to the pet store and then you don't <laughs> just not get them back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's, I there, I so, love those things, those lies that our parents tell us that like, we believe well into our twenties. Yes, just because your parents told you, and you, and like even though you like logically you know it's not right, but like it's just it's stuck in your brain as that's a truth. Yep, um, that is yeah. exactly what happened. I found out seventeen years later that Fur Puff had not been sick; she was in fact dead. On the pet tip, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, recall another fun little tie-in that uh, you and I have, Josh. Um, I, I'm wondering if you're going to tell the same story I was about to. You go for it. <laughs> no, 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 please. Um, <laughs> my parents had a very good friend, still have a very good friend named Peppy. It's like a Woodstock name. It's not his real name, but that's like the name he goes by. This is someone that I grew up with. He played music at my wedding. It's like someone I know very, very well. And uh, I, I mean close to 10 years ago now, I don't remember exactly when it was, um, Alon sent me a message to let me know that Pepe had died. And I was like heartbroken. I mean, I was like devastated. I'm calling my mother. I'm like freaking out. My mother's freaking out. We're scrambling and everything. And this is like a very tough time because my father was ill and like Pepe was one of the few people that would like visit my dad and everything. So I was like, oh my God. And then I forget how it got revealed, but it turned out that Alon was talking about a cat that he had gotten from us, from a litter of kittens that he had gotten from us. And I, I mean, I had not thought about it. To me, Peppy was a person and not Peppy the cat that Alon had. And of course, Alon was talking about his cat. Both a sense of I, relief and a sense of, oh my God. I loved <laughs> Peppy so much when he would look me in the eyes and go, buddy, I love you. I just, yeah. it, it meant so much. Elon, what was your favorite phrase that Peppy used to say? Meow, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, when we got our cats from you guys, uh, I, I forgot the name Daisy was the mother, and then yeah. there was a, a litter of five kittens, and we got two of them from off of you. And one of them was named Cupcake, who lived to be like 19 years old, and then Peppy, who died, I want to say he was like 13, a little yeah, more than 10 nice. years ago, but um. His original name was Beethoven, and we changed it because we hated the name. <laughs> we were like, no, there's no way we're going to have this cat named Beethoven. Like, that's a St. Bernard name. A cat can't be named that. Ah, I got to try something different. And Aren't so he's literally called Beethoven. Yeah, it's about yeah, a dog. And then, and then Beethoven's second. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a ton of those movies. Yeah, there's a lot. I think there are more Air Buds than there are Beethovens. But You um, think that so? I don't know. That's a tough There's a one. lot of Beethoven. Like they were making Beethovens even into like my childhood. So get out. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There were like commercials for it. <laughs> it's a winning franchise. How can you go wrong? Family dog that saves the day through happenstance. I mean, come on. I hope that it's like there's like the Beethoven's uh like uh son or daughter, because let's be real, St. Bernard's do not live as long as these franchises probably would like them to be. No. 
I wouldn't know that. I think I think there are probably very few people who know that St. Bernards don't have a long lifespan. Yeah. Well, well, what you do, They're what you do, huge dogs. Well, what you do is when your dog gets sick, you take him to the pet store, and then you get <laughs> and then you get a poodle the next right. week. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> in the case of the St. Bernard, you take the St. Bernard back to the Alps. That's where the St. Bernard goes. Yep. Right. At this time, we uh, have a couple of clips that I've prepared, and um, they are from the same day because it's December, it's not just the holidays, but it's also my birthday month. I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my birthday month. Not like it matters. <laughs> well, of course it matters. Except for me, except to me. <laughs> no, um, you came to my eighth birthday. I think you may have come to my seventh birthday too, where there was like a puppet show and it was very, very strange. That, that puppet show was something else. But the next year we took it outside of the house for the first time. That was my first birthday party going to like an event, like going to a, like a business, a place of business. And it was a bowling alley. And we've shared a clip in the past with Will and Rachel where I uh, was not able to tell jokes properly yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs> I was able to find some more uh, footage from the same day. And it wouldn't be a December Giving Tuesday gifts and all that. You're talking about gifts earlier and how you didn't get gifts for your sixth grade graduation. Well, uh, Boy, howdy. It all comes full circle because we're about to dive into some uh, samples of gift time at Elon's eighth birthday party. Are we ready? Let's do it. Oh, there's so much going on there. Right? That, that was a very flaming clip you got going on. Oh, first of all, uh, I just have to point this out. I knew who I was immediately because that sweater <laughs> that I was wearing, Yeah. Uh, it later got turned into a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. My mother man. could not throw that out. She had to turn it into a pillow. There's some real good sweater game going on there. Uh, we've yeah. talked about that purple sweater that might as well have been made into a pillow in its own right. Uh, and your sweater is amazing there too. Um, let's talk about this. Uh, you got me Scrabble for my birthday and I already had it. You already had it. Can I tell you something? Um, I did not remember that at all. So don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> I definitely looked a little bit stricken, but it didn't affect me because I didn't remember. So no stress there. Um, but that's, you know, what's so funny is that every kid's birthday party I've ever been to, that, that happens. It's just like such a normal thing. And it's so funny because I think as a parent, you're like, oh God, you know, like you feel so bad, but the kids don't really care. And it's also just like, that's just the normal kid thing. Like they yeah. shred open the thing and then there's a present and they move on to the next thing. Yeah. It's a group effort because if the kid's taking too long, like me, to open his presents, everyone's like, okay, let's help you open it. Like, let's just let's move on to the <laughs> yeah, pizza. Let's speed this up, yeah. buddy. Come on, move it, run, keep it rolling, keep it rolling. Um, I don't think I prepared it because it would be too difficult to uh, hear, but um, good. This is a interesting uh, tie-in to the where where we are now as a society uh, over, over or as a you know. 
we live in a society. We live in a society where congregating kids will sneeze and cough around each other and there's no issue about it whatsoever, except there is now. But in this clip, I'm pretty sure there's a point in time where you sneezed and then like maybe a full minute later, I coughed a couple times and I'm just like watching it be like, germ theory, I'm watching it in real time. Oh man, my seven-year-old and her people, her friends and everything, they're all pretty good now. They've been pretty well trained about covering and stuff. But my youngest, she goes to daycare. There's like one-year-olds through five-year-olds at this place. And as a four-year-old, she's actually really great about it. There's other four-year-olds who are not, but like the two-year-olds, I mean, they they don't even know how to use their hands completely anyway. Like, you kidding yeah. me? They're not going to be covering their mouth. So, um, yeah, I'm really glad. We are not allowed in the daycare anymore. We have to drop the kids off outside and they go in on their own. And I am very happy about at least that part of it. <laughs> we have time for one more clip. Uh, and it's the second portion of this, uh, of which is a little longer. Um, see if you can make out any like interesting little like intricacies uh, you know there, there's a lot going on here so th- if we need to like rewind we're not going to do that so you gotta <laughs> just fucking pay attention um more good stuff coming at you right now sort of a callback to when I was like, I already have this. And then when I got something, you're like, I got this at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. what, did, what was it? Could not make it out at all. I was really trying, but it looked like it was like some kind of a, a board game. Did you guys play a lot of board games? You had, a, yeah. you didn't have any video games, Josh, am... but you. Yeah, we only had board games and Lego, Lego and board games. Josh, man, I would have fucking loved you. Or at least I would have loved you. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of what kind of board games are we talking like Settlers of Catan or are we talking like Monopoly 
Uh, no, we definitely had like the more traditional stuff. I, I wish we actually went, you know, by the time I was a teenager, we definitely had like kind of cooler board games, but growing up, it was like Sorry, uh, uh, Monopoly. What are the other like really? Oh, Trouble. Uh, uh, Trouble. Thank you. Exactly. Trouble. With the popmatic bubbles. Right, exactly. Oh, God. You're yeah. in trouble. There was Trouble, Sorry, Shoots and Ladders. Candyland was big. Candyland, um, exactly. I made my kids their own version of Candyland during the last lockdown. Hmm. Back in March. Yeah, that fun. sounds awesome. What 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 could uh, someone expect when they see a uh, a custom-made Candyland for the Telson clan? Uh, it's just, it, it's like... Um, colored paper and stickers of candy that I found. And um, actually I did some watercolor on there too. I nice. did tap into my artistic side. Uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a nice fun project to do together with them. Although they did the gluing and it's a mess, but that's fine. Yeah. That's what you expect. Were any of you guys into making games or inventing board games when you were a kid? I did that in middle school, actually. When I got yeah, to the exactly. Poughkeepsie Day School, they made uh, like a it was like a, a specifically class that met once a week. And um, my teacher uh, gave us all like carte blanche to just do, go, go for it and do whatever. Like we would, t- we would play games like Stratego and risk as like an inspiration to learn how to like make our own board games. And I remember like making my own game moving pieces or whatever. And it, yeah. it, it, and I used clay and I think I got it from my mom. Like she was like, Oh yeah, yeah, here, like borrow this clay. And like it hardened into like these little, like little figurines that I made. I was obsessed with Star Trek, and so we made a giant, so were my nerd friends, and we loved playing Battleship, but we thought it was way too rudimentary. So I made this giant cardboard layout Star Trek board game where you could play as all these different species, and you had, like, your little secluded area that had its own protection, and your goal was to take over the whole galaxy. <laughs> and it was just same deal, just a bunch of clay sculptures, and we used the Battleship things to mark how many times somebody had been hit. I missed that era. I mean, you're you're just encouraging. You are you are creating minds of childlike play. You are reinforcing the one single most important thing in the artistic realm. Well, whether I'm forced to or it's I'm doing it on purpose, I don't know. But um, I mean, we we got a tablet, and they mm-hmm. they do get to have some time on there. But most of the stuff they do on there is drawing. Other than that, they're in their room playing Lego or with the dollhouse, or they're drawing. They do a lot of drawing. It's nice. Do they have a particular Lego genre or realm? Oh, yeah, it's it, uh, Lego's got super sophisticated over the years. Yeah, they. Just yeah, have, it's really hard to buy just a box of loose Legos now. It's crazy. No, right? you, but, can, you can. You just have to go to the Lego shop and actually pick out the pieces you want from their wall of pieces. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. You used to be able to just buy like a box of like a few hundred right. freestyle pieces, but it's like those barely exist anymore. Well, we got everything hand me down. We got all everything from the classifieds um, and then a bunch of stuff that my mother dug up, but they, yeah, they just have like a big, you know, box full of all random stuff. They build houses. It's like just big, fantastical houses. It's very fun, actually. The funny thing actually is that my youngest, the four-year-old, we got the Lego for the older one. There's still Duplo that we kind of thought the younger one would be playing with Duplo, but the younger one's the one doing the Lego stuff. And she's, she'll, she'll literally spend hours just like building these really intricate, complex things that are like incredibly fragile oh that's so awesome yeah i find that relatable i used to like (laughs) hyper focus like that on lego and and other things that to me is funny because i i my oldest is very much like me where attention is just left and right just everywhere she can't focus on anything for more than 10 minutes and that's the same way that i was 
and to a small degree, I still am. My middle brother, the one just younger than me, um, it, he could sit in front of Lego for hours and hours. And that's just like my youngest. And there's the same age difference between the two of them. So there's definitely something going on there that I don't know where that comes from, but uh, it's fascinating to me because I can't relate to it at all. There was the one uh, wisecrack that a parent, I don't know who it was, uh, uh, mentioned during this previous clip. Something along the lines of uh, moms get clothes, but kids get toys. So like yeah. w- when birthdays happen, if you're getting clothes, it's not from one of your peers. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> Never. That was actually the most fascinating thing about that clip to me was all the parents in the background. I saw Ben's dad, Chris, yeah, there. Yeah. Right? Ben was there kind of hovering over me. And then yeah. Chris, his father, just sort of uh, showed up in frame from the doorway uh, with like the Sin- sickest Bruce's- mustache I've ever seen. Yeah, no, I love that, that mustache. I, I mean, I, I worked with Chris for years, so I, all of his old photos were always everywhere. And I, uh, I recognized Chris with a mustache. Um Brooks's mother, Cindy, I, I definitely saw her. Who, are, who was dancing in the background at the end there? That was a kid named Josh Gold's parents, um, oh, okay. I guess, who were dancing. I don't know. Oh, wait. I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at the video now. Yeah, that's who it is. I don't know. There, there is a lot of random thing. It's really random. I mean, I got a bowling pin that said, happy birthday, Elon, that I got to bring back home with me. Like, that's exactly like how you spend an eight-year-old birthday like they had like a playroom with like stuffed animals and like they gave us pizza hopefully those bowling alleys will be able to throw their pizza parties in the new year um i too had a bowling birthday party at one point did you i sure did it was my uh i want to say my eighth birthday somewhere around there your eighth birthday too huh i think it was my eighth If if it wasn't my eighth it was like give or take about a year never gonna go out of style my favorite thing about those bowling parties for kids is that they just bring out the slide, right? Like you just, they, no one's Oh, we didn't bowling. have that. Bumpers. Yeah, yeah, the bumpers. Yeah. Oh, the bumpers. We had bumpers. Yeah, for now, sure. The, the yeah. slide. I have total disrespect for like the slide, like except for people with disabilities, like then it makes sense. But like, I don't know, man, like giving kids the slide. I feel like that's a cop out. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I just very clearly remember it. Do you remember where you had your birthday parties going into like, you know, like when we were uh, in grade school? I I can't remember offhand. uh, We never or so. this is actually the funny thing is that so me and Ben. So the next uh, brother. We went to your house one time because you guys had a joint birthday party at your house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we never had birthday parties anywhere. My parents were not going to spend money on a party when they could have a party at our house. Yeah, true, Um, true. My youngest brother, Noah, uh, who I run the theater with, he definitely got a few birthdays, but he also, so he had a January birthday, so I can kind of respect they, they couldn't really do much else. Mm-hmm. They couldn't send the kids outside. So, but he definitely, he got a few birthday parties at like the swimming pool and at the arcade. Yeah. Or the roller rink? No, we never did that. Although those no. were my favorite parties. The Easily roller rink mine. parties were roller so good. Are the best. So good. Ice, the like, ice rink parties are like second to the roller rink parties. Yeah, it gotta be the roller I rink though. Ice rink parties can accidentally break things, though. I mean, roller yeah. skate parties can too, but to a lesser degree than ice skating rinks. It was they a different have... kind of pain because on the yeah. ice rink, at least you were wearing a jacket, so you had a little bit of padding. I remember there was an ice rink in Saugerties, but the Port Ewan-based wooden wheels, which is not yeah. a wooden wheels anymore, but it's like a multidisciplinary uh, uh, event space from last I remember when I passed by. has what like arcade and like whatever. Uh, probably a lot of other things, but yeah. The roller rink birthdays, uh, I mean, I had one for sure, but there was at least three or four that we must have gone to. 
Oh yeah, easily. Oh man, I remember opening up an invitation that had said wooden wheels on there. I was so happy. Yeah, see, ours for us it was the ice rink. That's where everybody had their birthday parties. Was at the ice vault. It's called. Oh, man. Nice. Nice. You mentioned uh, your uh, brother with the, uh, that you run the improv theater with. At this time, uh, I want to uh, just give you a chance to uh, plug any and all of these things. Uh, uh, what's it called? Comedy Cafe Berlin. If people wanted to enroll and learn improv, they could. They, they don't have to be in Germany, technically, do they? they don't uh, well, I don't think we're going to be opening registration for online classes again. We've moved the physical classes that we had online, yeah. but we're probably going to hold off on starting new classes so we can do them in person. I mean, who's to say? Maybe not. I, certainly, if you're interested in uh, learning improv and the schedule would work for you, you can check us out, uh, comedycaféberlin.com. But um, we are live streaming shows every Friday and Saturday, European time, 8 p.m. European time, European nice. Central time, Central European time. I should really know what that's called. Um, and uh, you, feel free to check those out. Theater groups are allowed to meet in person to practice. So with distancing, a bunch of the improv teams meet at the theater to live stream their practices. You know, we treat them like shows right they're they're not getting notes while anything they're not getting coaching or notes while it's going on so we've been able to live stream like live shows not zoom shows it's been pretty fun doing that you're doing exactly what you wanted to do when you were 12 years old yeah so. but can i say something on you are this podcast has been going for seven years now True. yeah so that's pretty impressive I'm doing my thing. I uh, really am grateful that uh, I've got a team here that uh, believe in the thesis. And, uh, you know, I've gotten a, a, a sincere amount of uh, interest in the past. But a lot of that interest uh, that I have had uh, in the way of guests has uh, not been without me reaching out to them and being like, hey, hey, that's you, got some you got some clips. You got some clips. You got to hustle. Hey, you got to hey. hustle, Alon. Hey. Yeah. Josh with powers on Twitter, one of the best Twitter handles I've ever seen, if I may yeah. say so. Yeah, um, and uh, for all other information, including uh, the full entire catalog of Piffle, which is also a really good name, uh, Piffle Radio, the show that you did with Noah back in um, what, uh, the mid-teens. Yeah, that's seven years old now. I, mean, I appreciate it. People want to check it out. I feel like it's a little bit evergreen, but it's also very dated. But feel free to check it out. JoshTelson.com is a fun show. And you are a fun guest and you are a fun human and, and one of the best humans, if I may say so. Uh, thank you Likewise. for agreeing to be on the this week of Lost and Rewound, Josh. Thanks for having me. This was super fun. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Honestly, man, it was great talking to you. And um, I will, I think, have to go to Berlin to see my little brother. So I would love to hit you up. Please come out. It's a wonderful city. When we're not I'll be there time. when COVID's over. So yeah, let me know. Stay healthy, Josh. And best to you and Meg and the girls. My best to all of you. we go some very important news to give to you 
If you live in New York City and run for either fun or exercise, here's a way to learn something about the city while you're getting your workout in. City Running Tours is now offering neighborhood running tours designed with locals in mind. New York City takes pride in the diversity and character of its neighborhoods, and these unique running tours offer an opportunity to learn the history of a neighborhood and get personal recommendations from your guide. Choose from tours of 23 neighborhoods, including the East Village, the Upper West Side, Bushwick, Long Island City, and Roosevelt Island. For more information about the running tours and to see the list of neighborhoods and full tour schedule, check out their website at www.cityrunningtours.com slash New York City. Again, that's www.cityrunningtours.com slash New York City. Thank you, Will. And that will do it for us this week on LNR. This has been episode 236 featuring our wonderful guest from Berlin, Josh Telson. My name is Alon Danziger. And I'm Will Hasty. I'm Rachel Teichman. We'll catch you next week for another installment of Lost and Rewound. Stay safe, healthy, and be kind. God damn it. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Something. We wish you an ugly birthday. We wish you an ugly birthday. We wish you an ugly birthday. And happy new year. <laughs> mad, 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 I tell you. Oh, how about they couldn't get by me? How about mad scientist Helson? Hmm?